0: We're gonna come back to those words. Uh, two people, anyone willing to yell out what their word was? Joe, Spence, what was your word? Uh, captions was fun. Fun, that's great. <laughs> that's really good. Anyone, anyone got anything else? Yes, Esther? A lot. A lot, good. One more, let's take one more. Yes? Demanding. Demanding, great. Hold those words in your head, we'll come back to them. Um, you saw in the video there, We'll come to that in a sec. Um, Lots of chat around purpose. What is our purpose in life? We've kind of set up this series as thinking about what it means to be human, what it means to have purpose. Um, Would it sound controversial to you if I said our purpose is to work? Um, I think we kind of give the game away in the questions we ask each other quite a lot. Probably the most common question we ask someone when they're an adult of age is what do you do? Uh, Even if you're not an adult at your school, it's what are you studying? Uh, We ask people all the time what they do with their time. Because we recognise that how we spend our time is a really important thing. And we spend the majority of our time working. And I'm going to broaden that definition of work in a minute. And then the next time, uh, chunk of time resting. It's kind of two big buckets. Uh, But our culture more often than not wants to tell us that work is something to endure and not enjoy. Or that work is something which we need to find our ultimate purpose and our meaning in. About... Fifty years ago, we had the invention of the state pension, um, and we now dream of 20 to 30 years of leisure, of retirement as our end goal of where we'll find real enjoyment when we don't need to work. Or, as I said, we flip the other way and we, we say we need to find our meaning and our identity in what we do in our jobs. As is always the way, and I think hopefully as we've seen in this series, uh, the Bible offers real clarity in the midst of the muddy questions the world is throwing at us. And it says here, we see here in Genesis, we'll look at it now, work is an inherently good thing, but it's not the main thing. Let's look at what the Bible has to say, four things. First, we can see work is good. Let me read from verse 31 of chapter one. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus, the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. We'll get a rest next week. But note here in my emphasis there, God is a worker. He made, he formed, he created, he systemized. He did all these things and it was hard work and he stopped and he rested. Work is not a result of what happens in Genesis 3 with the fall. It's not a glitch in the pattern of the world. It's not something to escape. We were made to work and we'll work in eternity. Jesus, the perfect model for humanity, was a carpenter, construction worker for the majority of his working life. And then he was a teacher. Let me define work then as I'm using it quite broadly. We're obviously not talking just about paid work. God was not paid to create Jesus, when he was a teacher, was likely raising his own support. He was relying on the generosity of others. Uh, I'm going to use throughout uh, Tim Keller's definition. He has an excellent book on work. And he says this, work is rearranging the raw material of God's creation in such a way that it helps the world in general and people in particular thrive and flourish. We'll keep coming back to that. and I think it's a definition which comes right out of Genesis 1 and 2 loads of things sit into that definition of work. Uh, Raising a family, Esther, hard work. Caring for an elderly relative. Volunteering for a church or a charity in some way. Organising events for your community. Praying faithfully day by day. We work and we rest. Everything we do basically fits into these two categories. Elon Musk, like he is in many areas, is categorically wrong. When work changes, as it will with technology, it's changed throughout the centuries. Um, we'll still find purpose in what we do, and that's not a bad thing. Work and rest is the God-given pattern, and the work imitating pat- uh, and the God imitating pattern for human life. We imitate God as we work. Now we need to say not all of us can. Work necessarily, maybe due to ill health or if you're a young child, but most of us, in this broad definition of the sense, even if we're retired, even if we're at school, we work. We each have different capacities for it, different skills, different circumstances, but we work. Our lives are not to be lived in idle leisure. And that's because we were made in God's image to work. And we get a job description, verse 27 and verse 28. Uh, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God then blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. We've seen in this series, looking at what it means to be in God's image. To be in God's image is to be His representative on earth. His, uh, we, we looked at it in the, I think week one, his statue. Showing off the God who made the world around us. We're made to image God, to represent him, to be like him in some ways. And God is a worker. He ruled and then incredibly, he delegates that rule to us. It's why unemployment is so gut-wrenching and depressing for people. It's why people who dislike their jobs are so discontent, no matter how much money they make. It's why sometimes the elderly or disabled are often unhappy and desperate to contribute to society. Because when we stop working, we lose part of who we are. And and the same is true, we'll see it more next week, of rest. When all we do is work, work and work, when there's no space and no margin, we just grind our soul down to the bone and become more machine than human. God worked and then he rested. And we saw this earlier. God could have done everything by himself, but he didn't. He could have made all humans from dust like he did with Adam, but he chose to work through us, through marriage and family to fill and subdue the earth. He could have made food just fall from the sky like he did with the manor in the Exodus, but he's chosen to work through farming and agriculture and trade as his normative pattern. He could have put Adam and Eve into a city like he's going to do in a new creation. But he chose to put them in a garden and let them try and start civilization from scratch. Why? Because God's looking for partners. He's not looking for slaves and servants, he's looking for partners in his creation. Rulers, he delegates his rule to us. Ultimately, Jesus is going to come as the true ruler and the king we long for in human form. Throughout the Old Testament, the people of God long for a ruler. And it comes and fulfilled in Jesus. He now rules and he reigns in heaven. But then he still chooses to partner with us as he works out his plans for the world for us. He has good works planned for us to do. Let's stop and just think on this. It's an incredible privilege and an honour. This it gives real dignity to our day to day activity. We're not just cogs in a machine. We are kings and queens. Ruling this earth with our Maker, but then what is our work to be? I think um, quite often a clear job description goes a long way to having a satisfying job, and we get one here in Genesis. It's what is often called the cultural mandate. Verse uh, one, verse twenty-eight. God blessed them and said to them, "Be fruitful and in increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it." So, what is our work to be? Well, firstly. It is, and we looked at this a little bit last week, to be fruitful and multiply. Uh, And I want to speak at this little point to parents here, but also to the whole church family, because it takes a church to raise a child. And I know so many of you are all involved in each other's lives, helping raise children. I know me and Caroline are incredibly grateful for all who do that in our kids' lives. And the first part of God's job description here is the work of parenting. So remember, as you parent, as you discipline as your child as you clean up after them as you teach them new things remind them again of the things you thought you already taught them that what you're doing is at the focal point of God's vision for the world and I've got it written down here but Esther said it for me it is hard work just like the raw potential found in the earth each child is full of potential but it needs nursing and developing each one is like a full-time job Caroline, my wife doesn't have one part-time job. She has a part-time paid job and is a full-time parent. That is work and it is good. So parents and all of you involved in children's lives, keep it up. Uh, This command doesn't just mean that we need to get married and have kids. We saw that last week. Jesus was single and celibate. So it can't just mean that. It's way more than that. Why would God command it is quite interesting as well. Why would he command this considering it's really likely it would just happen anyway? He doesn't say it to the animals. They multiply just naturally. It's because of what it really means to fill the earth. It means to develop society and civilization. He created Eden in the east of the garden, but the plan was that they would go out and develop and cultivate the world. And that then links to our second part of our job description. We are to subdue the earth. Let me read from Genesis 2. If you've got it open, keep it open. Genesis 2, 5 to 9. We get this quite curious bit. Genesis 2... um, Zooms in on Adam and the garden. Genesis 1 is kind of the bigger picture. Genesis 2, we zoom in and we kind of see the story told from a different angle. Here's Genesis 2, 5 to 9. No, uh, now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth. No plant had yet sprung up for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Now, the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden. And there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. What do you notice in this slightly odd bit? I think it's slightly odd in Genesis 2. The world when God created it was raw, It was rugged. It was a wilderness of untapped potential. There was earth, but no plants. Water, but no one to work the ground. God himself planted a garden in the east, but what about the north and the south and the west? Then goes on in verse 10, a river watering the garden flowed from Eden. And from there it separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon. It winds the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. What's God doing here? What's the author of Genesis doing? He's explicitly naming the potential of the land. It had gold, resin, onyx, raw materials. So as we plant crops, as we build houses, as we invent solar power, as we design computers, make music, shape art and develop technology, we're filling the earth and subduing it. This is not a mandate that can be used to justify any abuse of the earth. That's not what subdue means. We're partners with God in developing this world. The care for creation, a right looking after environment is crucial for Christians. Because back to this definition, which I think now we can kind of see more of what Tim Keller's getting at here. Work is rearranging the raw material of God's creation in such a way that it helps the world in general and people in particular thrive and flourish. We are in all we do to be gardeners, to take the material in front of us and mould it and shape it, creating value out of the resources we have, the physical ones, but also those found in the people we work with and spend time with. It's a real privileged honour, this. God created humanity to continue his project, to, sub- to subdue his world. God's creation was perfect. It was very good, but it was incomplete, deliberately. So we are to work. 2 verse 15 tells us "For Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. The word work here is the word in Hebrew Abad, which means service. Work is service. Service to God and service to people made in his image and to the earth itself. You are made in all you do with your time to serve others and to love them. Let's dwell a little bit on how work is service to others. That's a wooden chair. Um, I want you to imagine you're sitting on that wooden chair. I don't know why it's in a garden, but that's all I could find. Um, Could you have made that chair yourself? Possibly one or two people here might. Josh Davis is not here. Um, I think Neil might be able to make a chair. Can you make a chair? But he wouldn't be able to get... How would he get the wood? Could you cut down a tree? Sure but then only after he's made the tools to do that. And then he's got to make some sort of vehicle to lug the woods and then a mill to cut up the lumber and roads to drive. And then you might be able to get to work building a chair. It could take a lifetime to make one chair. Uh, imagine everyone quitting work now. What would happen? Civilised life would die. I think, I think I've heard this, that if farmers stopped farming, it would take seven days for London to stop. Food would vanish from the shelves if we stopped working. Petrol would dry up. Fires would just burn themselves out. Streets would not be safe. Communication, transport facilities would die instantly. Those who survived would huddle around campfires and caves, clothe themselves in animal hides. The difference between a wilderness and a society is work. So there may be no better way to love your neighbour than to do your work and to do it well. We rely on one another. We serve one another in how we work. The word abed here is also the same way in Hebrew used all the time throughout the Old Testament to describe worship. Work and worship are not separate things. We saw this in Romans 12. All of our lives are worship, including our work. So we're called to work, rearranging the raw materials God has given us to bless the world. A farmer does this as he rearranges the land to get crops and food so that people can eat. Praise the Lord for farmers. We don't often thank them. I read a really interesting blog recently which noticed how our culture now, we we don't have a relationship with our farmers in the way we used to. We used to know them by name. I think it's a sadness that we really don't. We, We just take for granted the fact we get food on our table. A builder takes trees and rocks and makes home. We've been on holiday this week and there's a building site opposite. And I was kind of marvelling at it because I don't have a clue how to build anything with my hands. And these guys were making a loft conversion. It was incredible. They need an engineer to make sure that the building they do stands up. A musician, Joe here today, he takes a sound and tones. He rearranges them into something beautiful and melodic. A graphic designer takes shapes and colours and typefaces, rearranges them to make something visually interesting and clear. All of us in the variety of work we do are outworking our purpose. And we're building towards the new creation. The new creation is not a return to Eden. It doesn't look backwards, but we look forwards towards a garden city, a new city, a developed world, which is the result of all the subduing and the multiplying we do as humans in the world. Paul in 1 Corinthians has this wonderful phrase as he's talking about who we are now if we're following Jesus. We are co-workers in God's service, he says. Co-workers, partners. I don't know how you often view your relationship with God. I think more often than not I kind of view myself more like God's employee, not his co-worker, not his partner. We think we work for God and there is some truth in that. Paul often calls himself God's servant But we're also his co-workers. It means we're not also working for God. We're also working with God. We're partners in this project. You're not just a parent or a software engineer or a student or a lab technician or a teacher. You are a modern day Adam and Eve as you rearrange the raw materials God has given you to develop and subdue and fill the world. So your work has value and it has purpose. But we need to remember work is broken because Genesis 3 follows Genesis 2. And I may have been painting quite a pretty picture, but it may not match up with our reality. Because work of all forms is often frustrating and disappointing. Genesis 3, if you've got the red barbers, you can flick there. Genesis 3 Uh, Adam and Eve rebel. We had lots of talk there around the garden and how there was a tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And God gives some guidelines and says, do not eat of those, but they do. And then we see this curse. God curses uh, the land and the snake and the man and the woman. And in verse 16 of chapter three, we see this. To the woman, he said, I'll make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you'll give birth to your children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. abuse of his delegated authority, a failure in his ruling as a co-worker with God, is that God curses his own image. You see there, both family and field are cursed, both the command to fill the earth and the command to subdue it. Note, and, and we need to be really clear on this, it's not children and work that are cursed. It is for childbearing and the land. Work is still a good thing. But we have joy now mixed with frustration. You just have to see me try and work in my garden to get a decent lawn to see the curse in action. I applied weed killers, these anti-ant things, which I'm not really sure if I should use or not. Um, Re-seeding, Duncan's not allowed in my garden at the moment um, because I just need to get it right. Um, But I want to try and get it decent. It's incredibly frustrating. Um, Partly that's my lack of skill. Partly that's for sunlight. uh, Partly that's just, it's quite frustrating. The land is difficult. That's for land, but... But more pertinently, within our lives, within our working lives, as a result of this curse, we get fatigue, we get burnouts, we get back pain, we get greed, we get waste, we get poverty, we get injustice. Work is cursed. According to a recent UK YouGov poll, only seventeen percent of workers love their job. Joe is one of those seventeen percent. Praise the Lord. But we get this dissatisfaction for a number of reasons. But fundamentally, it comes because we were made to rule on behalf of God. And yet we often rule for ourselves. Uh, Junior Church looked at it last week. So if you've got children in there, you'll have seen this. In Genesis 11, we get the story of the Tower of Babel. Humanity worked hard. They created things. They built bricks and they built a tower towards the heavens. Why? To make a name for themselves. And we get this. It says, they said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. (laughs) Interestingly, they're using their creativity, we've seen. They're using their God image to make those bricks. It's a technology. It's a good thing. But they use brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. And then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Notice that last line. They were planning not to scatter themselves, a direct rebellion against God who had told them to fill the earth and subdue it. And then how when we uncouple our work from God, it can become a God itself. This tower building towards heaven so they can make a name for themselves. Work can become like a drug. We strive for just another foot on the ladder, another sense of accomplishments. We want our child to help fulfill our longings and identity. We want another well done from our colleagues. We want another task ticked off, an exam passed. And it can just lead to overwork, burnout, and an inability to switch off. It's worth saying as well, this can be the case in both secular and Christian work. I know a number of us here work in Christian organisations or here for the church. And yet all I need to do is look at my own heart. and know my motives are so often not pure in my work. Even in my volunteer work today, hopefully my serving of you in preaching, I can easily just do it all for myself. I want to seem knowledgeable and clever. I want to have you all tell me so. My motives are so mixed up with whatever my broken heart can make up. I know I can easily fall into making work my idol, the place I look for my joy and my satisfaction and my fundamental identity. I know that's a danger for me. For others, you may be listening to that and going, that sounds absolutely ludicrous. Why on earth would you do that without work? It may be rest for you. You're actually you, maybe I live for the weekend. I live for my retirement. Your goal is to earn money, crack on with life and switch, on as, switch off as much as you can. Live for the next holiday. And your leisure then becomes your identity. Because fundamentally, we're all striving for a sense of identity, a sense of purpose. A sense of belonging in a community and that desire is not bad, it's inbuilt to us. It was put there by God as those made in his image. We long to be known and loved and have purpose. But when we search for identity and our belonging, what we do for work or what we do for fun, instead of in God and his people, we turn those things into little gods. And they come up empty and they disappoint every single time. It's like the Tower of Babel. It's ludicrous when you think about it. Ludicrous thing, they can actually build a tower to the heavens. Yeah, they tried. They probably spent years doing that. And so often we try to do equally ludicrous things. Who we are and what we do are inseparable. And so it's not all bad to look to our work for some of our identity and our happiness. But my main point here is that we should expect our work to be a mixed bag. We should expect some of our dreams to come true and we should also feel a bit let down at times. We should expect our work to give us a sense of meaning and purpose but also to be regularly frustrated by whatever it is we do. We can't find happiness or satisfaction or whatever we're searching for in our work and our rest apart from in God. That may sound pretty bleak. I kind of built you up, but work is good and now work not so much. Is there any good news here? Well... What if God set it up this way? Have you ever thought about why he cursed Adam and Eve? Why he cursed the land? Was he just a psychopath? Was he an angry vigilante? Was he cruel and sadistic or just mean and angry? What if the curse is in fact a blessing? Because it drives us to God. If it wasn't for the curses, we'd just look for meaning and satisfaction in whatever we do for rest and work. And we'd find it. We would live in a paradise of our own making without our maker. These frustrations, which we sit in now before the new creation, they're to push us to God. But what's amazing is what happens after Adam and Eve disobey God for the first time. They run away. What does God do? He comes to them. God comes to them. He meets them and he finds them. He searches them out. And this is the storyline of the whole Bible. Whilst we run away, while we run to other things for our meaning, our purpose, whilst we spend all our time building towers towards heaven for our own glory, God runs to us in his grace and in his mercy. And says, come back and trust in me. Fundamentally, we see this in Jesus God loved us so much that he sent his only son to die for us, to search us out, to bring us back into relationship with him. God comes to us and he finds us where we are. He finds us in the office. He finds us cleaning up sick on the floor for the third time that day. He finds us in the classroom, in the garage, in the kitchen. And in those places, in those moments, he draws us closer to himself if we'll let him. He uses those moments. He uses those frustrations and those joys to draw us nearer to himself, to shape us and mould us more into his likeness as he prepares for us to live in the garden City He's prepared for us. So finally, how do I work now in the midst of that mingling kind of now and not yet that we live in? Well, Colossians, says this, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. God values what we do, but he also values how we do it. In the midst of the frustrations of living this side of the curse, he calls us to do whatever we do in a way that pleases God. We need his help to do that. And part of that is just to do our jobs, paid or not, competently, excellently. Jesus was a carpenter, and I can only imagine he was an excellent one. There's a brilliant American author called Dorothy Sayers, and she's written on this. She says this, not about Jesus, but about a carpenter. The church's approach to an intelligent carpenter is usually confined to exhorting him to not be drunk and disorderly in his leisure hours and to come to church on Sundays. What the church should be telling him is this, that the very first demand his religion makes upon him is that he should make good tables. I think Jesus would make excellent tables wasn't a shoddy worker we're called to be excellent in our work whatever we do doing it in service of others and for god's glory and in thanks to him whatever the task whether it's as common as raking a garden or as high powered as serving in parliament if you offer the work back to god and in service of others it will shine and bring him glory competence is important As is the manner in which we do our work, we need God's help by his spirit completely in this to help us. A few verses earlier, Paul describes what it means to do everything in the name of Jesus. He says, therefore, as God's chosen people, he's telling us our identity here now, if you've trusted in Jesus, holy and dearly loved. Secure an identity clothe yourselves with compassion kindness humility gentleness and patience bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you is a grievance against someone forgive as the lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity i want you to stop just now 30 seconds read those words through again and think about your work whether paid or not. It could be your parenting, it could be in your serving and love of friends and family, in your babysitting, of your grandkids, in your study, wherever it might be. And just stop for 30 seconds, read those through and ask for God's help to live out your identity as one of God's chosen people, which is who you are if you put your trust in Jesus. And pray that you'd help him to make you more like this in your working life. Just take 30 seconds now. Taylor Swift, one of the most influential women in the world today, says in the film clip we see uh, each week at the moment, I know it can be really overwhelming figuring out who to be and when, who you are now and how to act in order to get where you want to go. I have some good news. It's totally up to you. I also have some terrifying news. It's totally up to you. She's completely wrong. Uh, You've been made uniquely you. And all you can be is who God made you to be. There's a danger. You listen to a sermon like this, and you think work is good, and you, I want to flourish and do all the materials. Paul put it this way: We each have different gifts, according to the grace given to each of us. We each had side shows a few weeks ago. Been hardwired by God with different skills, different capabilities, different passions, different circumstances, different life situations at the moment, and we've all been called, giving the job description we've had to help contribute to the flourishing of this world and the people in it so your job is just to be yourself take all that God has given you your experiences your background your education your brains your skills your lack of them and work as hard as you can and do the best as you can for God's glory and for the service of others imagine a world like this full of people working with excellence and diligence and working out of service and love for others Remember the broad definition of work we have? We have a variety of responsibilities in what is called work. And we are doing excellently with love and service of others, not ourselves. I know I need to remember the breadth of who I am in this moment in my life. Maybe you need to remember that as well, that you're not just the job you do. You're not just a, a mother at home with the children. You're not just a student at school. If you put your trust in Jesus, you are like me, firstly, a follower of Jesus, a disciple. Then in the circumstance and situation I have now, I'm a husband and a father who's been uniquely placed and chosen and calling to help Caroline, Duncan and Layla and point them to Jesus. I'm also going to help lead a church here where I'm to use the few gifts God has given me wisely and in service of him and for you. I have paid employment as well, which I'm to do excellently in the service of others. All of that makes up my work. You'll be able to name the similar things for you. The first thing there, a disciple of Jesus affects and flows through all the others. Our primary identity, if we trust in Jesus, is one of his children. God's chosen people to be saw there. his delegated rulers on this earth. And I'm to represent my father and operate in the way he has shown me. And I can only do that with the help of the spirit in me we need God's help. Work in all its broad sense is a really good thing. Praise God for it. But it's not the main goal. It's not the place where to find our primary identity. So my prayer for me this week, my prayer for you this week is that whatever we do, that you'll delight in working to serve God and those in his world. And we'd go this week with purpose as rulers co-partners with God, no less, kings and queens to rule his earth, his way, for his glory. Let me pray. And we're going to sing. Father God, we thank you that you have made us in your image and what dignity and honour that gives to us. Help us to, day by day, understand more what it means to be somebody made in your image and to live for you and you alone. We need your help. It's not our first instinct. We need your transforming work of the spirit which comes following the the work of Jesus on the cross. We need that. So help us this week, Lord, to rule with you and honour you in all we do as we serve others. Amen. Let's sing. I'm <clears throat>